to Podiatry Today podcasts. I'm Dr. Jennifer Spector, Managing Editor, and today we welcome as our guest a doc that needs little introduction, Dr. David Armstrong. Dr. Armstrong is Professor of Surgery at the Keck School of Medicine at the University of Southern California and the Director of the Southwestern Academic Limb Salvage Alliance, or SALSA. We all know Dr. Armstrong as a key leader in limb preservation research and practice, and today he's speaking with us about his journey to where he is today, which was featured in a recently released book about innovative change makers. Welcome, Dr. Armstrong, and thank you so much for being with us today. In the recently released book, Refounder by Patrick Coletti, one chapter does focus on your journey as a refounder of sorts in the realm of limb salvage. In that chapter, Patrick shares his recollection of your story as to how you found your niche in medicine. Could you relay some of that for our audience today? Sure. So Patrick called me about this, uh, I mean, completely out of the blue. And when I heard about, when I heard it was being published, I had no idea. Uh, I, I had completely forgotten about it, actually. The way I found out about this, actually, was with um, Lee Rogers, someone that I think you know. Lee had called me and he said, hey, Armstrong, you're in this book. I'm listening to it. Do you know about it? I said, what? No, I don't know. And so he sent me the Audible book. I, I didn't even read that yet. I remember Pat calling me uh, like a year and a half ago, maybe, about this. And uh, it was only after I actually received the book um, that I had uh, that a lot of this kind of came back. But I love this specialty. But as I think I've told you before, Jennifer, I, I um, or at least I've echoed it. You know, it's one of these great, I can think of two great gifts when you're looking after people's feet. Um, the first is that, you know, in this uh, era of sort of chest thumping and, uh, you know, a lot of hubris, I can't think of anything that's more of an expression of humility um, than looking after someone's feet. And, and what's really cool about that is that it crosses all ethnicities and borders and even religions and time, if you think about it. I mean, tending to someone's feet, you can't express humility more than doing that, right? So I always thought that even before I got into podiatry, because my father was a foot doctor, and I would just like, I guess, just imagine, you know, watching my dad take care of patients. I grew up in the office, and I just watch him look after people. And I always saw him in that sort of pose of humility. Uh, he was a big guy, but I saw him just down there looking after people. And that was one of the key things I remember. But one of the other great gifts that I don't think much many of us think about in podiatry, but the other great gift is this uh, great gift of, of perspective. And, you know, my father used to tell me that the best gift you can give anyone besides your love is perspective. <laughs> and, and, I, I, and working at the end of this kind of anatomic peninsula, you can either kind of hang out there, uh, work on it on your own, um, or, you know, it, it could be like, you know, being marooned on, a, on the end of some peninsula or something, or you can collaborate with the uh, anatomic mainland, right? <laughs> so we've sort of chosen the latter. And in doing that, that's kind of guided the whole thing, the whole, what's really become now kind of the specialty and sorts, you know, limb preservation, um, as it were. But I saw this happening when I was a resident, but I saw a lot of this even earlier, you know, as a, as a student, I mean, as a, uh, just as a kid kind of growing up in, in clinic. But when I was a resident, I really remember it because, um, you know, I, I love operating. I literally just got out of the operating room, uh, 
uh, this morning. And I always figured, well, you know, I'm just going to be a podiatric surgeon and this is what I'm going to do. And I still do that. I mean, this is a, it's a big part of my life, but you know, when I was a resident, um, I was at Kern hospital, which was a really, really busy hospital at the time and still is. And, um, I had just finished doing this surgery with, uh, Dr. Pup, Guy Pup, who's one of my mentors and Guy, and it was an operation on this, uh, a young man who was a college athlete. I got to drive this, you know, big seven, three screw through a massive uh, bone on this six foot, nine inch kid. And he spent the night. And then the day after I was just changing dressings on him in the, in the clinic. And while I was doing that, while they were getting him set up, I, the patient next door was sitting there. So I figured I would help out in clinic because it looked busy. And I was taking up a, a chair with this patient for the dressing change. And so I walked into the room and um, saw this little lady. She was maybe five feet. She was from South Asia. Her whole family were in this little room through her son, who was kind of nominally interpreting. You know, I'm talking to her and she had this little tiny ulcer on her, the bottom of her foot. You know, I knew, thought I knew what to do with wounds. Doing that while I'm talking to this lady through her son, I'm, I'm debriding it and you know, she's kind of bleeding on the floor and I look at her hands and her hands are kind of, uh, uh, ends of a couple of fingers are sort of quasi gangrenous. And I talk a little more, it turns out uh, that um, she has uh, leprosy as well. Uh, it was fascinating. Uh, it was all, that was of course in remission, like many people with leprosy uh, have enhanced disease at it. And so I'm debriding her. She has leprosy, she has neuropathy and diabetes. I'm thinking about the guy next door as well, um, what's going on with him, but I want to concentrate on this woman. I asked her what happened with your fingers, and um, she said, well, you know, I bake uh, bread, and non-bread, and sometimes I stick my hand in the oven, and I'll just turn it over, and this time I think I burned myself or something. I didn't know. That was, I sort of had one of these epiphanies. I kind of freaked out. I, I stepped back, and these two rooms were kind of on the same, on this curve, and I could see both rooms. And I think to myself, boy, that thing on the right, that's, that's great, you know, taking care of people and looking after them and, uh, you know, uh, operating on these folks and reconstructing them, all these high-performance athletes. But, you know, what about treating the absence of symptoms? No one talks about that. So that I saw, that was, I think, the second or third day of my residency. I thought to myself, man, that's what I want to do. And um, so as I was a resident, you know, going through, I really, I focused on a lot of that as well. Uh, of course, I focused on operating and uh, reconstructing these patients, but I wanted to focus some of those kind of reconstructive skills and whatnot on patients without, without the gift of pain um, to try to help them move through the world a little bit better. Because I, I thought, boy, what an avenue to try to affect change. As you alluded to before when you're talking about the medical mainland and the peninsula that is the foot. I've heard some of your former fellows and I've also heard you say, as you did in the book about, this is more than just treating the whole in the person. It's about treating the whole person. And by the way, you know, I didn't come up with that, that whole person thing. The first time I heard that was uh, from uh, Gary Sibold. Gary's a great guy, uh, at, a dermatologist. That's absolutely right. It's just taking a step back and, and sort of regarding everything because, you know, often we get so caught up in our own little thing. We're also kind of navel gazing and sort of solipsistic, if you will. You know, we all just look at our own 
you know, practice or our own, you know, individual month to month or day to day. And, and that seems like, like the center of the universe. And gosh, I mean, it, you know, in a lot of ways it is, but what, what's so important is if we step back and we look at the fact that um, we're, we're sort of in, in the midst of creating um, kind of a, a new specialty uh, within a specialty. And, and that's really what podiatric surgery, you know, a, a significant part of podiatric surgery can be um, is, you know, limb preservation and helping people move through the world a little bit better. And um, you see this unmet need, not only in the United States, but around the world. Um, in fact, you know, the concept of podiatric surgery is used to uh, refer to kind of what we would call limb preservation surgery in many parts of the world, like in, um, in Japan and Korea and the rest of Asia um, and India, you know, we ought to embrace that as well. And I think, unfortunately, there are a lot of preconceived notions about this patient population. And like you said, we, we aren't really looking, taking that step back sometimes. Another topic in your chapter, you talk about challenges that some of these patients may face with depression or isolation or other issues like that. And you talk about bringing mental health professionals onto that limb preservation team. Can you speak a little bit about why you found that so important? Sure. It's really important uh, for us to realize that no clinician is sort of unto herself or himself uh, like an island, right? And I, I think any um, worthwhile effort here is a team effort, right? And, uh, and it's just a lot more, even though it's harder, that doesn't mean it's not more fun and, and more rewarding. When it comes to, uh, you know, many of our patients, you know, more than half of them are clinically depressed. Um, if we start to measure this, and, and yet we haven't really focused very well, uh, our team, you know, um, as well on the behavioral aspect of this, but more recently, I think over the last couple of few years, we've really tried to do this. And in our clinic, in our flagship clinic, it, while we have not had psychology and psychiatry um, over, uh, recently in our clinic, simply because they're so overburdened with people with horrible suicidal ideations or homicidal ones or both or something, you know, we uh, have um, added in, believe it or not, occupational therapy. And our occupational therapists are uniquely trained as um, specialists in aspects of behavioral health. And they can help steer some of these patients, at least initially on that, uh, you know, toward further care and uh, counseling. And that has been wonderful in our clinic. And believe it or not, between them, uh, between uh, the, not just, and you know, obviously physical therapy, our dietitian, uh, and others, we end up managing to shepherd these patients um, into behavioral health with our colleagues, I think a lot better now than we used to. Although I think we still have a long way to go because I think improving that will obviously also improve uh, the patient's uh, overall adherence and ability to cope. Uh, and maybe you can identify some real structural barriers that you know, you can't fix with a scalpel uh, or an antibiotic uh, or a uh, spatial frame. Absolutely. There's usually a lot more to the story than meets the eye. In the book, they discuss the idea or the definition of a refounder as being someone that identifies what's broken and trying to make it better. The example that they used in your chapter was the toe and flow model of care. Can you 
for people that may not know about it, give us a really quick update on how you feel that has identified a problem and made it better. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, again, we said no clinician is uh, unto him or herself an island. I already told you that. And there's no way for you and or us to look after these patients by ourselves. And so in doing this and in trying to build these teams, not only within the US, but around the world, we've often asked ourselves, well, what's kind of the irreducible minimum, the sort of atomic minimum number of people that we can have on the team to tick all the key boxes, at least for most care. And if you look at it, um, putting together um, a podiatric surgeon and a vascular surgeon together, or a toe doctor and a flow doctor together is really, it, it ticks all the boxes, medically, surgically, mechanically. When you put those doctors together, that real, that's really where the magic happens. And uh, a lot of this uh, came about, you know, working with various clinicians, uh, but especially uh, with my kind of, I call them my uh, flow amigo prime, uh, Joe Mills, when we were together in Arizona, where we really tried to put a lot of this together and sort of codify it. But really we were building it with this toe and flow model. We were building on work that had come, you know, a generation uh, before that uh, back in Boston and uh, at the Deaconess, you know, with folks that are uh, there right now on the, uh, you know, on the podiatry side and on the vascular side there. And right around that same time um, in, in England with uh, teams uh, that didn't necessarily have podiatric surgery at the time in the early 80s, uh, but had uh, physicians uh, like endocrinologists doing some of this. Uh, and then I think what we, what we did was we ended up learning from each other, right? We ended up, it's like learning a new language or and you sort of take the best from these different pieces, but that's really toe and flow and, and it's really taken off. And that has led to now an entire society that's just started called the American Limb Preservation Society or ALPS, which is really like a, uh, I don't know, like a e-harmony or a Tinder for uh, uh, toe and flow doctors to bring uh, clinicians together that care about this problem in different areas. And that has taken off so amazingly well. It's just, it's, it's life affirming. Well, that's really exciting. And you, you know, you spoke about capitalizing and building on the work of previous generations. What about the the generation to close out today that's that's coming? You found your your purpose and your why in limb preservation. Do you have any advice for podiatrists who might share that same purpose or for people oh, who are still looking to uh, find it? Yeah, look, there, there's so this is such a rich specialty. I uh, and uh, it's a humble and rich specialty because I mean, there's so much to learn and there's so much to do down at the end of the body. Um, and you can make such a difference in people's lives. Uh, and if you happen to be interested in, uh, in limb preservation, it's just one of those areas where you can bring all of those things to bear, you know, medically, surgically, uh, mechanically, uh, through uh, basic science, through uh, wearable technology and wearable robots uh, to, Right down the hallway now, I'm going to go in right after I talk to you, we're doing a, I'm putting an exoskeleton on a patient right now. It's, so to say that this is an exciting time right now to help people move through the world a little better is, is an understatement. And uh, I think it's an exciting time. I, I'm, it's a fun time to be a toe doctor is what I say. It absolutely is. And thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. And we'll point everyone towards the book chapter if they want to see a little bit more in depth about this particular telling of the story. And we hope you'll join us again on Podiatry Today podcasts. 
Don't forget to go to podiatrytoday.com for more engaging content on limb preservation and more from leaders in the field in all areas of foot and ankle medicine and surgery.